0: Uh, announcements I want to make sure that you are aware of. Uh, the Advent season is upon us, uh, which also means that it is uh, the season when we start collecting a special offering called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. Uh, it is a, a, an offering that is collected for uh, uh, amongst churches in the country under the uh, Southern Baptist umbrella, and every, uh, every, every dollar, every penny that is collected uh, for this specific offering uh, is given towards international missions. So the missionaries, such as the Garlington's, for example, uh, who are functioning as missionaries under the International Mission Board, uh, a lot of uh, the, a lot of the reason, or many, much of the reason why they are able to go to the mission field and not have to raise any other support, is because in part of this uh, generous offering that's collected amongst the churches, and so. Uh, beginning next week, uh, you'll start uh, receiving in the bulletin a, a special insert, so if you should desire to give to this special offering, uh, you'll have an envelope where you can place uh, cash or a check um, uh, to be able to go to this, uh, this, uh, this special offering. You can also go online as well, you can just Google uh, Lottie Moon Christmas Offering, you can give that way as well as you desire. Um, and so you'll continue to hear a little bit more about that as we get into the month of December. Uh, secondly, uh, next Sunday, uh, not next Sunday, uh, next Saturday, not this Saturday, but then following one, December 16th, we'll have a men's breakfast here at the church beginning at 8 a.m. Uh, we will uh, end pretty pretty sharply at 9.30 because that will be followed by a kid's Christmas party, I believe, here at the church as well at 10 a.m. And then the following day, that Sunday, will be our Christmas service here at the church, starting at a regular time. And then just as a reminder that on uh, December 24th, uh, Christmas Eve, we will still have our service here at the church at 10.30, uh, but we will also have our traditional service, uh, traditional Christmas Eve service uh, that evening at 6 p.m. here at the church. And Then one last thing I want to quickly mention, as many of you know, the Garlington's are in a season of training right now as they prepare for uh, for missions, and they are actually finishing their training this week. They have uh, they actually have their commissioning service uh, this Thursday, December 7th, and they are, I think, I believe, not not I believe, but I know that they are actually live streaming that service, and so once I, I I get that information, I'll send it to you. It is actually in the middle of the day. It's, a, it's on Thursday at 2 p.m. I know that many of you are, are busy and have work, so you are not able to tune in, uh, but for those of you who can, uh, you might be blessed just to be able to to see that, and it is actually at a very, very encouraging Uh, Commissioning service. Uh, Well, you'll hear very briefly the stories of all these different missionaries um, and and where they're going, or at least some details about where they're going, not everything. Uh, But, anyways, it should be very encouraging. It'll be great just to be able to support them in that way. But once I have that information, I'll make sure that I send that to you via Slack. If you're on Slack, I'll be a newsletter if you're getting the newsletters as well. Uh, So, uh, with all that being said, uh, as you know, uh, we are entering to the Advent season, and something that we traditionally do uh, as a church is uh, we have an Advent reading. Now, uh, the Bible doesn't tell us that we have to have an Advent reading every week during uh, the season of Advent. Uh, it's not, the Bible doesn't uh, tell us that we have to have every sermon uh, dedicated to focusing on Christmas, but it's just something that we choose to do, uh, because why not, uh, as as wonderful as the holiday season is, and thinking about gift-giving, and thinking about family and friends, this is, provides us a wonderful opportunity to think much more intently on the Incarnation, thinking about Christ Jesus uh, being born of a virgin, and His reason for His coming, namely to save His people from their sins. So it is a joy to be able to think that much more intently during the holiday season on the coming of Jesus Christ. And so, as a way of introducing us into the, uh, into the season and as a way of orienting our minds to the, the purpose of Advent, we do have an Advent reading uh, and time of a short prayer uh, before we begin the service. And so, for that, uh, we usually have somebody come, or either a person or two, to do our Advent reading and short prayer before we begin our time of worship through song. And so, for us this morning, we're going to have um, the Remmers who are going to come and share uh, the Advent devotional for us this morning, and then they will uh, say a quick prayer, and then we will begin our time of worship through song. So I'll invite them up.
1: amen amen church um let us stand in response of uh what we just read let's sing on to the lord let's worship him the word of god says uh and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth amen
2: Come to the old way.
1: morning, God. God, as we celebrate uh, during this Advent season, God, I pray that we may remember the the focal point of it all, Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our King, born to live a, a sinless life. and then to die and be raised to give us life and full forgiveness of our sins, God. What a wonderful gift. For that, God, you are worthy of our praise. Lead us, Lord, in in the rest of our time now, Father, as we worship you in truth, in your word. God, that your spirit may may truly speak to us um, through your word. That we may be encouraged, God, and be edified this morning. Thank you, Father, for the gathering of the saints. For this is a wonderful gift in and of itself as well. Let us continue to worship you, Father, in the coming of Jesus, the beautiful gift, God, that you've graciously given us. Lead us, God, in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Church, you may be seated. At this time, we'll be uh, dismissing our children to their classrooms.
0: Uh, verses 15 to 17, and then we'll spend some time in prayer. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Amen. Let's go to the Lord and let us pray. Lord, we come to you this morning. We gather and we open our lips to sing of your praise. We open our mouths to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. That Jesus Christ is Savior. That Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. We open our mouths this morning to Declare our gratitude for who you are and what you have done for us. This morning, you, you call upon us. And you call us not to give to you our works, not to, give, not to give to you anything else, but to give you our praise, to surrender our very lives to you as the Lord who has purchased us and redeemed us from bondage of sin and bondage to the evil one. Lord Jesus, we belong to you, and our worship begins with gratitude. Because we are grateful, because we are so thankful, we worship you and we praise you, and we come to revere you and adore you as our precious Savior. Lord, your word tells us that worship begins with a contrite heart. More than our works, you desire a broken heart. Yet, Lord, how often do we do we lack this contriteness of heart? We're not always as broken over our sin as we should. We're not always filled with the kind of regret that we should have over our sins even though we know we should. Lord forgive us because oftentimes what we feel in ourselves is does not is not consistent with what we know ought to be the case. So Lord, we we know that you want us to be broken over our sin. So would you help us, Lord? to draw near to you in acknowledgement of our sins and admitting that we need your mercy and that we need your grace. Lord, would you help us to have greater sorrow over our sins, to have deeper regrets, deeper remorse, Lord, and a deeper repentance for such a broken-heartedness? you will not despise, but you welcome such hearts into your grace so that you can freely pour forth your grace. Lord, we pray for those who are in a season of trial, for those who are discouraged right now in their Christian walk. Lord, would you encourage your saints and give them strength each day. Protect them and keep them, Lord, with your hedge of protection. Keep them, Lord, from temptation. Keep them from the schemes of the evil one. Guard your precious people. Lord, we pray this morning, we pray for Heather, we pray, Father, that she may come to a greater and greater understanding of your great and deep and abounding love through Jesus Christ, and that she would know in a personal way your great love for her, that she may be overwhelmed, that she may be overwhelmed with gratitude and, and a humility. It comes from knowing that the Savior of the world and the King of the universe has looked down, has looked upon her favorably. Favorably enough to send His Son to die for her. Lord, that she may be increasingly overwhelmed with the grace and mercy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we continue to pray For the Smiths this morning, Lord, we pray. We pray to the God of all comforts. And we pray, God, that your precious comfort would continue to abide upon their hearts and on their minds in Christ Jesus. We pray, Father, that you would stabilize each and every one of their steps. that in this time they would know the wonderful and gentle shepherd who walks with them even through the dark valleys. We pray, Lord, that you would shine your magnificent light upon them and that they might personally feel and know the warmth of your love and the warmth of your care for them. Strengthen them And encourage them each day, Lord. Father, we pray for the Garlingtons. Lord, we rejoice that they are now coming up on finishing this next part of their lives as they ready their their lives for missions. Lord, we are thankful for this calling that you have placed upon them. Lord, continue to encourage them and continue to equip them with all that they need in Christ Jesus. Lord, prepare them for the work that you have for them out there in the mission field. Lord, we are looking forward to receiving them back with us soon for the short time that we have them. We pray, Lord, that we might be intentional in encouraging them and supporting them and strengthening their hands as they prepare to go and lay down their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Continue to bless them, O Lord. Father, we continue to pray for a great revival. We pray, Father, for a great turning of hearts to Jesus Christ as their Lord and only Savior. Lord, you have created man to be a worshiping person. We cannot help but worship. So we pray, God, that you would cause many people to know that there is a precious Savior that is worthy of their lives and that they would surrender their lives to Jesus Christ as an act of worship. You call us to worship. What will endure unto eternity is worship worship of the great God, worship of the great King and Savior. And we pray that many hearts may begin to worship Christ Jesus now. And we pray, Father, for the saints at Dover Baptist. We pray, Lord, for Brother Silas as he continues to pastor and shepherd your people there. Bless him and keep him and abound or multiply your wisdom upon his life as he shepherds your people. Bless the saints there. And we pray that their worship would be animated, energized, and filled with great zeal for the glory of your name. Father, we pray for our country. We pray for our leaders, Lord. Your scriptures tell us to pray for our leaders so that we may live a peaceful and quiet lives, Lord, that is what we are after. We desire this, Lord. And your scriptures command us to pray for these things, so we pray, Lord, that you would direct the path of the leaders that you have put in power and in places of, of authority, that they might govern with wisdom and knowledge and understanding, Lord, so that we might live peaceable and quiet lives. The glory of your name. And lastly, Lord, we pray for those who job whose jobs require physical labor. Lord, we pray that you might give them good rest at night so that they might work well with their hands each day. And Lord, protect them. Protect their hands and feet so that they continue to work and provide for themselves and their families. And Lord, we pray that as each day ends, God, that they might feel a sense of satisfaction and contentment in knowing that they have worked well, not only for their employer, but worked well for others. Not only that, but worked well for the heavenly master who is in heaven. Fill them each day with your grace, and that they might do their work with patience and humility. Lord, we trust you for all of these things. We're thankful, Lord, for this Advent season. Lord, continue to help us to fix our minds upon Jesus and to remember the incarnation to remember that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. With that, Lord, we also pray to you this morning the prayer that Jesus himself taught us to pray in the Scriptures. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. If you would please turn with me to the book of Matthew, or in Matthew chapter 2 this morning. Considering just one verse, Matthew chapter 2 verse 11, but for a little bit of context, we'll start reading at verse 9. Matthew 2, beginning at verse 9. I apologize, I don't think that the uh, team upstairs have <laughs> verse 9. They just have 11. But feel free to just listen or take out a copy of God's Word. There's also should be one underneath the seat in front of you as well if you want to follow along in a physical copy of God's Word. Matthew chapter 2. Begin at verse 9 and read down to verse 11. After listening to the king, the wise men, or the magi, went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until they came to rest over the place where the child was, that is, Jesus. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we come to you and we ask that by your spirit you may help us to not only give unto you our thoughts, our attention, but also to give unto you our hearts. Lord, and I pray that also for myself. Help us this morning to consider your word, to consider what you have for us this morning, and help us to receive it with gladness and with humility. Feed us with your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What is worship? A simple Google search produces the definition of worship saying that the feeling it is the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. I think we can sort of broaden this definition of worship, because worship is not just restricted. Oftentimes worship is not just restricted to a deity or a God But many things, many objects in life can become an object of worship, an object of reverence, an object of adoration. But how is this expression of adoration expressed? What does it look like to adore something? What does it look like to revere something or revere someone? What is required in worship? Most often, when we consider the word worship, when somebody says the word worship, one of the first things that comes to mind is this, here, this moment. We tend to think of worship as happening at a particular time, 10.30 a.m., at a particular location, 397 Lafayette Road, Seacoast Community Church. We think of, tend to think of a particular day, Sunday mornings. But is this really what worship is all about? Is this the only thing that is required in worship? Is worship really defined by just those things? The wise men, the magi, traveled far distances. And these are stargazers. These are guys who looked at the stars and tried to interpret the stars. And certainly not left to their own interpretation, but most likely receiving understanding from others. And certainly some kind of divine intervention took place to lead them to come to understand that a king had been born. They travel far distances and they come to the place where a star had led them to see where the king was born. And so we want to consider this morning, how do they respond when they meet the king? So this morning, In this first Sunday of Advent, we are considering the nature of worship. So firstly, who is worthy of such gifts? When we consider the Magi and their presentation of gifts, who is worthy of such gifts? Who is this that receives such gifts and such adoration? And trying to understand the topic of worship, one of the most important places that we can go to on that topic is John chapter 4, which deals very largely with the topic of worship. So if you want to understand what worship is, one of the places we go to is John chapter 4, where Jesus is speaking to the Samaritan woman. And the conversation turns to the topic of worship. John 4:20, the Samaritan woman says to Jesus, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. In the conversation, the woman makes clear that the place of worship matters. She says to Jesus, we as Samaritans understand that worship for us happens in this mountain. Worship for you and the Jews happens in Jerusalem, at the temple. Why is that? Because they understand that that's where the presence of God was the Samaritans, we worship on this mountain because that's where we understand the presence of God is. But Jesus presents a whole different, a radical understanding of what worship is and what worship consists of. Again, when we tend to think of, when we think of the term worship or the word worship, oftentimes we go to a particular place, a particular day, a particular time. That's so we must ask ourselves, is our understanding of worship very much like the Samaritan's woman's understanding of worship. Is it limited to a particular day of the week in a particular location? Is worship only happening when we come here? And does worship only consist of singing of songs? Again, notice what Jesus says. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. In other words, he's saying, it's not going to matter anymore. In fact, it doesn't matter at this point, Jesus says, where one worships, as long as they are worshiping in spirit and in truth. There's nothing here that Jesus says about location. There's not even a word about the means. But the manner of worship, the manner of worship is In spirit and in truth. By that, I think what Jesus means is that worship springs from within. From the soul. And it is grounded in truth. What truth? Is it man's truth? Is it my truth? Is it your truth? No. The truth about who God is. The truth about who God says he is. That is where worship is grounded. So that, it does not, so that it's not a, an entirely broad definition to where we are free to define worship how we please, or that we are given the liberty to worship God in whatever way we can. But Jesus says it has to be grounded in truth. It has to be consistent with the truth about God, about what He says is truth, and what is true of Him. The wise men, upon seeing the child, it says that they fell down and worshipped him. The two words there for fell down and worshipped in original language expresses two different kinds of worship, actually. But there's also some overlap. It's almost like saying the same thing. They worshipped and worshipped. But there are some differences, slight differences, One word means getting on the knees and imploring. The other is about lying prostrate on the floor and touching the head to the ground. And there are examples of this. I want to show you some examples of this in the scriptures. Matthew 18, 25. It says, he could not pay. The servant, the servant could not pay the master. The master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, the same word there that we see in the response of the the wise men. Fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity, the master of the servant released him and forgave him his debt. And then that servant who's been forgiven also has his own servant who also owes him money and who cannot pay him back. And the same thing happens. That servant gets down on his knees as a way of imploring for pity. Matthew twenty six thirty Here is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, moments from his crucifixion. Going a little farther, Father, he fell on his face. The same word there as we see. In Matthew 2, 11, Jesus fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. It's a way of imploring. He is imploring God the Father, Lord, please, if, if there is a way out of this, let there be a way. Matthew 4, 10, after the devil had tempted Jesus, And said, if you fall down and worship me, then I will give you the kingdoms of the world. In response, Jesus says, "Begone, gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship. The same word there is the same word used in the original Greek for the falling down and worshiping of the wise men. You shall worship the Lord your God and only him you shall serve. Or you shall bow down to the Lord only and only him shall you serve. Matthew fourteen thirty three. after Jesus calmed the storm, the disciples respond and said, and it says that they worshipped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. I don't think they're actually physically getting down on their knees and worshipping the Lord, but this was a posture of their hearts. In their hearts, they fell down and worshipped the Lord. So what we see we consider the wise men who traveled from far distances who were Gentiles. They come and we see that they are one of the first worshipers of King Jesus. And though they did not, not understand at that time but when we consider what Jesus says to a Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 and the reason why location does not matter when it comes to the worship of King Jesus. It's because Jesus has become the greater temple. So that if Jesus is the greater temple, then worship happens where Jesus is. And what we understand from the scriptures, that yes, Jesus is everywhere present, so Jesus can be worshipped anywhere. The Scriptures also tell us when God's people are gathered together in His name, there He is also. So we worship, not because we're in a particular place, meeting at a particular time. We worship because King Jesus has said that He meets with His people when they gather in His name. So here are the wise men, and they bow down. They get on their knees. They touch their foreheads to the ground, paying reverence and adoration to a child, to a baby who had just been born. They come and they visit with Mary. Most women, having given birth, the last thing they want is visitors right after. And the best guests are the ones who are the unexpected guests, the uninvited guests. But here are the wise men. Without receiving an invitation, they come and they revere, and they pay homage to this child. Paying homage to someone is respecting someone in such a way that attests to that person's worth. You're saying something about the person's worth when you render reverence in such a way. Think of a wedding, for example, right? the most decked out, the sharpest dressed, the most beautifully dressed amongst a wedding is the groom, the bride, the bridesmaids, and the groomsmen. Right? They're the best dressed there. But then when you look at the audience, the audience is also dressed well, also. And to some degree, it is expected because how you dress communicates something. And so you dress in a way that respects what's happening before you. You dress in such a way that gives honor to what is happening as you're witnessing two people come together in holy matrimony before the presence of face of God. For a person to go to a wedding casually dressed, dressed in pajamas, right, would be in some degree communicating a dishonor to what is happening. It is taking what is happening in a casual manner take a great dignitary a great royal person who puts out a party and invites his guests to come right they're not coming casually dressed they don't come with shorts and sandals and a spongebob t-shirt right they come decked out not because they desire to they want to be dressed casually perhaps that's their preference But they lay aside their preferences because they want to communicate in their dress that they respect the host. So in these two examples, how you dress communicates something about the host or the bride and groom. There are two reasons why you pay homage to someone or why you reverence someone to such a great degree. One is because of the great dignity and royalty of the person. Another reason is because the person holds great power or great authority. Or It could be both. They're royal and they have great power. So we consider the wise men and how they respond when they see the child it communicates something about them, or it communicates something about the child. It says a lot more about the child than it does about the wise men. They don't have to say a single word. How they respond by touching the forehead to the ground, they're communicating that there is someone here of great value and of great worth that is worthy of such a response. However, there is something wrong with how man typically worships. There is something wrong internally in the mind and heart of man that leads him to worship that which is not worthy and leads him to not worship to the degree that he should those things that are worthy of worship. That takes us to, secondly, man's proclivity to worship that which is worthless. And there's oftentimes four problems, at least four problems with how we worship. The first is that we oftentimes don't know how to assign value. We don't know how to assign value to something. The Queen of the South, upon hearing of of, of King Solomon's wisdom, traveled a far distance to see if it was so. And she saw and she heard before her very eyes that this man truly is wise and has a wisdom like no other. She considered it of great words, a travel of great distance to behold for herself, and she was not disappointed. Jesus gets at this problem of our not knowing how to assign value to things when he says that we should not lay up treasures here on earth which can be devoured by moth and can rust, and be taken. We are not signing, assigning the proper value to things if we are making our lives about the pursuit of material gain and pleasures in this world, so that we can then consider it a fair bargain to trade, say, our family and our marriage for a job promotion. A man may consider it a fair bargain to give up his personal integrity in order to gain man's acceptance. We might consider it a fair bargain to forsake or trade the holiness of our mind and our hearts for a two-hour movie filled with immorality. We consider it a fair bargain to perhaps trade our financial stability and peace in order to acquire trinkets that lose their luster in the week. We're good at making trades because we we do it all the time. But for as long as our ability to determine value is severely lacking, we'll always be terrible bargainers. second problem we have is that we know how to assign value at times, and yet we don't give it what it's worth. Consider the rich young ruler who came to Jesus trying to understand how do I gain eternal life. To some degree, he understood that eternal life is of immense value. So he came out of his way to look for Jesus and ask him, how do I get this? But he did not know how to give what it's worth. Because it says that he was unwilling to give up his riches in order to gain eternal life. we might consider our pride of greater worth than the pursuit of reconciled relationship. We consider our sins of greater value than obedience unto the Lord. We consider our preferences and our selfish desires of greater worth than what is best for others. We might consider our time of greater value and of greater worth than alleviating the burdens of others. Another problem we have is that man sells himself to that which is unworthy. Jesus gets at this problem when he says, what would it profit if you gained the entire world but forfeited your soul? Why would you sell your soul for the world when your soul is of greater value? Man oftentimes sells himself for material possessions. The selling of ourselves is the essence behind every drug addiction and every substance abuse. The selling of ourselves for something that is not worthy. We sell ourselves to whatever will give us most pleasure. We think too lowly of ourselves and give ourselves to that which is unworthy of our lives and our attention. Now, if the selling of ourselves to that which is unworthy, the opposite is also true, and that is that we can oftentimes have a problem with overvaluing ourselves. Jesus gets at this when he says that whoever loves his life or keeps his life will lose it. We price ourselves too highly when we would rather keep our own lives instead of lose it for Christ Jesus. Jesus. We price ourselves too highly when we say, Not your will, Lord, but my own. We price ourselves too highly when we pursue the places of prominence, the seats of great positions like the Pharisees and accept nothing less. We price ourselves too highly when we think too highly of ourselves in our own needs, in our own preferences, and occupied with our own interests to the point that there is no room in our hearts or in our minds to consider the needs of others. There's so, a story. Perhaps you've heard it before. I think there's several versions of this story. The story of a man, of a father, who, whose health was failing. He didn't know how much time he had left, and he desired to impart some lessons to his son before it was too late. He calls his son, and he gives him his old watch. He says, son, I want you to take this watch, and I want you to go to the jeweler, and I want you to see how much it's worth. The son takes the watch, he goes to the jeweler, see how much it's worth. He goes to another jeweler and another jeweler, and he comes back to his father. He has a clear disappointment on his face. He says to his father, father. And then, what you asked of me, the best that was offered by the jewelers is $100 for the watch. Do you want me to go back and accept it? His father says, No. I want you to take the watch and I want you to go to a pawn shop. You have a friend at the pawn shop, don't you? Go to your friend and see how much the watch is worth. So he goes to his friend's pawn shop and he goes to another and then another. He comes back to his father disappointment on his face and he says father I went to at least a few different pawn shops and I even went to my friends and the best offer I got was just twenty dollars for the watch if you want to sell the watch I think we should just go to the jeweler his father says no I want you to now take the watch and I want you to go to this museum and seek out this person and show her the watch and reluctantly the son goes as he's commanded he goes to the museum, seeks out this person, talks with this person, shows them the watch. He comes back home in haste. He says to his father, Father, I went to the person at the museum, and guess what? The watch is actually worth a great deal. In fact, the museum is so interested in the watch that they want to purchase it and show it, put it on display. In fact, the person said that they never thought that they would see this watch in person. They're willing to give us $35,000 for the watch. Should I go and sell the watch. He says to his son, son that watches yours, you're free to do with it as you wish. But here's the lesson I want you to learn. and That is that people oftentimes get it wrong when it comes to placing a value on things. People place a high value on things that are not worthy. They're not worth very much. But there are some people who can see something doesn't look like anything. It's got scruff marks all over it. It's got scratches. It looks old. But they see a very high value on it and are willing to give up a great deal for it. There are many in the world who consider the gospel itself as like this watch. It doesn't look like it's worth much. doesn't look like it holds any value. Why would I ever want it? Why would I ever give my life for it? But you and I understand that appearances can be deceiving. At least to us, the gospel. It's like this watch. It may not look like much to the world, but in our eyes, knowing what comes from it, the blessings that come from it, knowing that Christ Jesus was born into the world, to give us this gospel is of immense value. Hence why, if you've given your life to Christ Jesus, you've determined that this is incredibly value worth your life. Okay, this is why I want you to understand, if you have yet to give your life to Christ Jesus. And I'm not saying your life isn't valuable. It is. But I'm telling you that Christ Jesus And his death on the cross and the blessings of forgiveness of sin and eternal life is worth giving your life for. And I'm here to tell you that it is valuable and you should consider it precious and that you should adore it and that you should give your life for that precious gospel of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, worship of the best kind. I said earlier, and we pay homage to a person of great dignity or royalty or someone of great power and authority or both of those. But there's another reason why a third reason why we might pay homage to someone, and that is someone who can drastically change your circumstances. For example, Matthew 8.2. And behold, a leper came to Jesus and knelt. The same word there that we find in the original language for Matthew 2.11, falling down in worship. This leper came and to Jesus and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Notice how the leper does not respond to Jesus. He does not come to Jesus as a kind of homeboy and says, Jesus, hey, how about you make me clean today, huh? How about you take away my, my leprosy? He doesn't even engage Jesus face to face. He gets down on his knees because he recognizes that the person standing before him can drastically change his circumstances and he's not even willing to look at Jesus in the face because that is how much respect that he has for Jesus. He says, if he will, you can make me clean. And if you know the story, he says, I will. And he makes him clean. There's something to learn from the story of Joseph when it comes to the topic of worship. Joseph was sold by his brothers to become a slave in Egypt, and through the divine providence and sovereignty of God, he he, he climbs up the ladder and he becomes powerful in Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. And when there's a great famine in the land, Jacob sends the brothers, the patriarchs, to Egypt to get grain because they're out of food. And how do they respond? Upon seeing Joseph, Without first, they don't know who he is yet. They don't know that he's their brother. They pay homage to Joseph. Why? Because they recognize this is somebody... Of great authority but also great power but also he can drastically change their circumstances by providing some food and then afterwards after Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and they are invited along with their families to come and live with him in Egypt and then when Jacob their father dies the brothers come together and they say they're the worried that Joseph is going to take vengeance now upon them because the father has died. So they decide to go to Joseph. Right? And they'll go to Joseph, and they, put, they don't put his arm or, their arm around their shoulder and say, hey, Joseph, remember that thing that we did to you back then, that little thing we told you? You know that, that was just way back in the past. right? You forgot about that. It doesn't really matter anymore. In fact, you can kind of thank us because you're in this position because of us. Right? They don't do anything like that. But it tells us in the Genesis account that they paid homage to him again. They revered him. They came to him empty-handed. I mean, what can you give? What can they give to Joseph in return? What can they give to Joseph as a way of saying sorry? Though certainly apology would be immensely helpful. But what could they give in order to, I don't know, repay or take back what they have done to him in the past? Or what could they give in return for what he has done for them? Or even what he has not done for them, which is give them what their transgression and what their sins deserved. What could you give? What could they give? We consider what Jesus gives, the blessings of eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, the freedom from condemnation. What in the world could we give to Christ Jesus in return? Right, When we receive a gift from someone and we give something in return, have you, you've probably been in a, in a position where somebody gives a gift to you and you can immediately tell that this, is, this has some value to it. This has probably a high price and the gift that you gave them in return is probably not worth as much and you kind of feel bad for it. Or even worse, when somebody gives you a gift and you didn't get them in something in return and you feel in a way sort of compelled, oh, I didn't give anything to you and you kind of wish that you had given them something in return. And Jesus gives us these abounding blessings, fully knowing that there is nothing that we could give to him in return to pay him back for what he has done for us. If the patriarchs, if the brothers of Joseph have given something to Joseph in return, hey, take our money, hey, take our food, take our material possessions, in a way that, could have been, that would have been insulting. Because what could you give in return? But what did they do? Instead, they revered Him. They bowed down before Him. And they offered to be His servants. In other words, they offered their very lives. Which Joseph was not willing to accept. Imagine a master was about to go on a trip and he entrusts his servant with two things. I want you to take care of these two things. They're very important to me. I want you to take care of my child and I want you to take care of my child's clothing. Servant nods his head and he says, Yes, I will take care of them both as if they were my own. The master leaves. He comes back. Time to give an account. The servant comes back and he says, Master, I have taken care of the child's clothing. Here it is, but I lost a child. Like, what? You lost a child. What do the clothes matter if you lost the child? The child has the clothes are not going to go on anything because the child the clothes are for the child. But you lost the child. What gift could we offer to Jesus in return for what He has done for us? We could offer Him our good works. We can offer Him our material possessions. We can offer Him anything. But why does Jesus not ask for those things? Instead, he asks for our lives. Because Jesus did not come to die for your money. Jesus did not come to die for your good works. He didn't come to die for your material possessions. He came to die for you. He came to die for your soul. Because it needed salvation. Because it was under condemnation. What is worship? It is the revering and honoring of the one who can and has dramatically changed our circumstances. The beginning of worship is the recognition that we really have nothing to offer. That there is nothing that we can place on the scale that will be worth the precious price of the life of Christ Jesus and His blessings. Worship says, Lord... I have nothing to offer you in return but my life. And even that pales in comparison to your precious life. Would you accept my life? And Jesus accepts it because that is what he came into the world to purchase. That's what he came to die for. The wise man came And before they ever offered any of the gifts, they first paid reverence to the child Jesus, to the King Jesus. And in that way, and in that revering, they were communicating that they are unworthy to stand before the presence of a King. And we understand it also as they are, and we are unworthy of receiving such a king and yet this king has given his life has come into the world and has given his life for us as we consider the topic of worship and what it means to worship let us reflect on these things romans 12 3 says for the, by the by the grace given to me i say to every one of you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think With sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. The command here is to think soberly. To be sober in your discerning, to be sober in your thinking, and not to think too highly of ourselves. What does this mean? This is like an intern demanding to be paid a CEO's wage. Like You don't have the expertise, buddy. You don't have the longevity. You don't have the credentials. You don't have the education. Right? You're not deserving of this high wage. You are deserving of an intern's wage. We might say that the intern is not thinking soberly, but in fact he is too drunk on himself drunk with his own pride, to think that he is deserving of something more than what he is worth. How do we think soberly? Well, by considering the context on which this passage rests, it tells us that each part is one of the many. You think soberly by remembering that you are a part of the body of Jesus Christ. That you are a member of the body of Jesus Christ. That you are one belonging to the many. That is how you think soberly. The one who thinks too highly of himself himself, thinks only of himself and thinks that all the other parts of the body are there for his own gain or his own benefit. the passage indicates that all are equally important in the body of Jesus Christ. Everyone is a vital part, which requires everyone doing their part. That there are various measures of faith, various measures of gifts given by the Lord. And they're all there, and that we are all here together as equal parts of the body of Jesus Christ, called to different functions, but ultimately to serve one another. You've heard it said that a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Right? You find a weak link, and that is where you might break the chain. The same holds true for the church. The church is a chain, and yet the weakest link in the chain is not the one with the least amount of faith. The one with The weakest, the weakest link is not the one who is most discouraged, It is not the one even who reads the Bible less than others. But the weakest link in the chain is the one who thinks too highly of himself. It is the one who would rather be served than to serve. And that is the one that the enemy, the devil, goes after first to break the chain in the body of Christ Jesus. So you consider, and I hope that you'll consider these things, where do you begin? You might begin by asking yourself, Am I dependable? And if I consider myself dependable, do people know it? And if you are dependable and not sure that people know it, would you go out of your way to make clear, to communicate, I am dependable. I am someone that you can count on. I am available. I can make myself available. For I don't want to be that weakest link in the chain. How can I bless the body of Christ Jesus? Romans goes on to tell us that to each person in the body of Christ has been given a gift, and the gift is not used or to be used for self-aggrandizement or self-pleasure, but it is used, it is to be used be a blessing to the body of Christ Jesus. That's what it's there for. Each part doing its work properly in order to grow the body of Christ Jesus. Worship is recognizing the value that is Christ Jesus and assigning unto Christ His proper worth. And only then can you rightly value everything else in the world. When you place Christ Jesus upon his right value assigned to Christ Jesus, the right value, then you can properly assign the value to everything and know whether or not something is worth your time and energy or not. And one of the things that Christ Jesus makes clear in the New Testament is that that what he holds most valuable, one of the things he holds most valuable are his precious saints. It is his precious church. And so as an act of worship, We surrender our lives to Christ Jesus. Not on a particular day, at a particular time, at a particular location. But we surrender our lives to Christ Jesus every single day. For Christ is worthy to be praised. And we worship Him in that way. And we worship through serving one another and meeting needs within the body of Christ And in this way, we assign things to their proper value. How we serve and how we live our lives says something about we value. Let it be shown by our lives that we value Christ and that we value His people as precious in the sight of the Lord and precious to us. Only when we ascribe that proper value, only when we recognize how undeserving we are of the gift of Christ Jesus. Only then can we go on to surrendering our lives and giving Him our time, our talents, our energies, and our resources to the worship of His name. Let's pray. Lord, we... Lord, we are thankful... That you have come into the world. And not only did you come into the world, but you became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Lord, help us to consider Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray that we might be Continually overwhelmed for what you have done for us. We, though we are undeserving, the we, though while we were still sinners, you came and died for us. Lord, help us to worship you, to revere you, to adore you as our King, as our Savior. Our, our great well of, of blessings. And only when we assign to you the value, the worth that you are, because you are king, because you are all powerful, and because you are the only one who has and can change anyone's circumstances. May we continue to worship you for these things and more. And as an act of worship, help us to continue to lay down our lives for the gospel and lay down our lives to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. Church, let's stand. Um, Please join me in our in our last song, uh, in response of today's message, um, let's sing on to the Lord. Amen. Bye. Father, you are absolutely and fully worthy of our worship. God, you have graciously given to us your son. And in response, God, may we consider giving you ourselves, our very own lives, God. Father, as we learn today, may we revere and honor Jesus. God, I pray you may instill in us a a reverence before your presence. Remove all pride or any sense of, of, of higher value that we may think we may have, but instead... May we lay it all down before your feet, God. Falling to our faces, on our knees, God, in all humility. And teach us, God. Teach us how to worship. Teach us how to worship, God. And in that, may we surrender it all as we should daily for the glory of your name and it is in Jesus name your son's name that we pray father amen amen today's benediction comes out of 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 15 and 16 the word of god says he who is the blessed and only sovereign the king of kings and the lord of lords who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to Him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Amen. Church, God bless you. You're dismissed. Amen.